swept the technique. Razor Blunt Commentary. Delivered with a special purpose. What's happening to my special purpose? It's the Killer Bees. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. He's blank. I am Branham. We are the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Uh, Brian McDonald, our new producer, because he has a B in his name, unlike Joe George. 2920, where is Joe? Um, Joe is, is no longer with the Killer Bees. Sad to say. But he's still with the station. And he's probably still going to make an appearance on the Killer Bees every Thursday at 4.30 for Bad Take Boulevard. <laughs> so that's where Joe's at. He's living in Bad Take Boulevard. These guys keep texting us this Los Angeles Dodgers... Spring training score. They're updating us, yeah, giving cares? us real-time updates on spring training game number one. That's weird. Weird we, behavior. We have the internet. Is it key? It if might we be cared, key. we could check. It Sounds like the LA. behavior of a team that has a fraudulent it title. Is, it is key from L.A. Key from L.A. keeps giving us live updates on spring training uh, scores. Key from L.A., I hope the Dodgers win a spring training championship because that's the only championship the Dodgers are sniffing this year. Yeah. All right, 713-780-3776. Uh, am I a homer? I've been, I've been called a homer a couple of times, and we know what happened to the people who said that. But am I a homer here? Uh, I think that the Astros can have the best pitching staff in all of baseball. A lot has to go right. There's certain, there absolutely a lot has to go right. But you look at the depth that they have, and everybody's skinny now, by the way. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Javier talking to the media today said that he's 15 pounds lighter than where he was at last year, which is great because I was telling you guys last year, Christian Javier looks a little pudgy. He looks a little pudgy, and that's not good when you have a pitch clock. Framber Valdez looks a little bit more in shape too. Um, I really think that the Astros had the Astros starting pitchers conditioning because of the pitch clock. Like, if you don't have as much time to regroup, you need to be in shape. It's more important. Collect your breath quicker. Uh, be conditioned. And I think that was uh, something the Astros did this offseason. But here's why I think they can have the best pitching staff in all of baseball. Uh, Justin Verlander. I don't need Verlander to be two years ago Cy Verlander. Just be who you were last year. Have a 325, 350 ERA. Make your 2025 starts. I don't even need you to pitch the whole year. In fact, I don't think he's going to be on the Astros opening day roster because he's going to start the year on the IL but just be solid like that's all I need from you Verlander I don't need you to be a Cy Young winner I don't need you to be the ace of the staff just be solid be a solid veteran be a guy who I can go to you can give me five six innings and you stay in the game Framber Valdez at his best and open on wood that he's he's at his best I believe that he can be a top two top three starter in the entire American League he's capable of winning a Cy Young that's how good Fromber Valdez's stuff is. Fromber, now the mental stuff comes into play. I think the pitch clock got to him last year, but in better shape. Christian Javier. I think Christian Javier was Brian's pick to like be the, the bounce-back candidate or whatever Brian said that he was. I, I thought he was going to be the best pitcher on the staff. Best pitcher on the staff. What if Brian's right? I think Brian's a smart lad. You know, Maybe I don't say the, the nicest things about him on the air, but I'm just being silly. I think Brian's very, very smart. Brian thinks that Javier's capable of being the best starter on the staff. Then he could be the best starter on the staff. But he's proven that he can do it. We've seen Javier be the best Astro starter on the staff. Second half notwithstanding, wasn't very good in the second half. But again, capable. Hunter Brown takes that next step from being a rookie guy with a bunch of stuff who's still trying to put it all together. He puts it all together. He's really good. Jose Arquiti, like he's solid. Like he's just like I think he's a good back into the rotation starter. If Jose Arquiti's your number four or five starter, I think you have a really good rotation. I think the JP France is his American parallel. Like I think that they're kind of the same type of pitcher, different Arsenal, but same type of pitcher. Uh, number four, number five in a rotation. If they are your number four, number five, then you have a chance to be really good. 
but there's also reinforcements on the way. Like, if one of those pitchers isn't very good, okay, well, Lance McCullers and Luis Garcia are scheduled to come back in the summer. I just need one of those guys to be decent to take that other guy's spot. So you have eight pitchers, hopefully, when summer rolls around. When you're looking at a playoff team, really you only have to fill four spots in your starting rotation, maybe even three. Then you look at the bullpen, and I understand that there's holes to fill, but I, I think that there's some, actually some decent talent in these 4A starters, uh, 4A relievers that could fill this bullpen. But where I'm really bullish is the back end. How can he not be? With Josh Hader, Ryan Presley, Brian Abreu. So you have eight starters that I think have potential, like in six of those eight that have really high potential. The other two are really good back into the rotation guys. Get it to the seventh inning, and now you have the best trio in the back end of the bullpen. I think the Astros are going to have the best pitching staff in baseball this year. Am I a homer? 713-780-3776. I don't think it's cut and dry. I think Atlanta's staff right off the top was the first one that came to my mind that could compete with the Astros. I think the biggest thing in the Astros' favor is, like you said, they have everything that you need because they have talent at the front end of the starting rotation, but they have depth to give you the back end of the the starting rotation. Whoever doesn't make it could add to a bullpen that if all you're trying to do is figure out two or three spots in the middle of your bullpen because you have the best three guys at the back end of any team in baseball, that the only team conceivably or one of the only teams and the first one that came to my mind that it it could try and compete with that kind of staff is Atlanta because they have depth and and they have veterans as well as young arms in, in their starting rotation. They've got some good pieces in the bullpen with Minter and Bummer. They've got a closer. So I think that they could compete with the Astros, but I don't think you're a homer. I think that legitimately those might be the two best staffs in baseball. Realistic take or am I being a homer? I love the Braves staff too, so like not, not much pushback for me. Yeah, I think it's a realistic take. I mean, you could certainly argue Freed and Strider at the top with the Braves better than the Astros' front best two, but I think the Astros in the depth of their starting rotation wins after that with they the Braves. They Charlie F. and Morton, and they added Chris Sale. Chris Sale was awful last year. Chris he Sale was, was awful. But that might Charlie, be the perfect environment I like Charlie, him. but he's not the Charlie we saw here at this point. He's the guy whose ERA is going to be hovering around four. Still a valuable starting pitcher, yeah. but I, I would take the Astros, you know, three through six over the Braves three through six, and no one has a better seven-inning guy in the league than Brian DeBray. So I think that also plays a big part in the Astros winning the conversation. Now, where Atlanta could kind of, and to play devil's advocate here, where they could kind of sneak in is the the middle relief. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the Astros, I think that they have a deeper middle relief. There's not many teams in baseball that don't have a deeper middle relief other than the Astros. So, where I don't think the middle relief is that important for the Astros' postseason success, like, once you get to the playoffs, look where the Rangers were thrown out every night in the bullpen. They rarely went to their middle relievers. Once you get to the playoffs, you need, like, three guys. Those are your workhorses, and you're going to them each and every time. So, like, I think the Astros are capable of winning a World Series if no one outside of the big three in the back end of the bullpen steps up. But if the Astros are going to have the best ERA in all of baseball, their middle relief is going to have to be solid. Like, not great, but solid. You're going to need Rafael Montero to be second half Rafael Montero. Doesn't need to be two years ago Rafael Montero. Needs to be second half Rafael Montero. Uh, is Seth Martinez going to be on the staff? If he is, he needs to be two years ago Seth Martinez, not last year Seth Martinez. Uh, Souza. Souza needs to be the guy that would pitch for the Astros for the six games or whatever it was, not the guy who was waived three times before that. Maybe you need a – it doesn't have to be both of them, but Dylan Coleman, Forrest Coleman's Whitley, got, yeah. one of those has to be a guy who can give you an ERA of 350. Not Nothing special, just 350. So 
I don't think that the Astros need those guys in order to win a World Series. I do think they need those guys if they're going to finish top two, top three in baseball and ERA. Yeah, and again, the dog days of the regular season are totally different than the playoffs because I agree with you. I mean, we know that starters, the leash is a lot shorter in the playoffs. And with the back end of the bullpen that they have, I mean, when you look at what the Rangers did with Chapman and LeClerc and company, the way they went about it, and you say, well, well, the Astros can do that, but they can do it way better with the three guys they got, you're in a great spot. But in the, but the, in the dog days of 162, you're going to have guys that have to eat up innings and do a lot of dirty work, and that's where at least in the middle of the season, the middle of the bullpen has to at least come through with, especially Montero's got to try and keep that ERA south of four and, and try and you know be, like you said, more of the second half. And then figure out between the veterans and if you, you really believe that one of the young guys can step up, look at them. But I think they're going to lean heavily on the veterans in the middle. Yeah, yeah I'm with Jeremy. I don't think the Astros need one of the middle relief guys to step up and have a better than expected season to win the World Series. But I do think they need them, as you pointed out there, Joel, to get through the dog days of summer and to be in a spot where you're talking about uh, you know, having a bye in the first round of the playoffs and not having to be, a play, be in one of the play-in series. So I think that's important. But one of the points in the Astros' favor, and it kind of feels like deja vu because we were here last year bragging about the Astros' depth, and then a month into the season, the depth was completely gone. But how many teams are in a spot where – Pitchers the caliber of, you know, Ronald Blanco and J.P. France, who guys we hope never see the field for the Astros as a starting pitcher, are your seventh and eighth guy. The in, yeah, Exactly. And a big, I mean, that sort of depth, I think, is unparalleled and uh, you could, in, you in Major League Baseball. You could also say your ninth guy if you're looking at August. Now, it's hard to forecast that. And then you can throw in Spencer Arigetti, who the Astros True. are also yeah. like bullish on. The Astros last year had three significant injuries to their starting rotation. Lance McCullers, who never made it back. That was significant to their Major League Baseball rotation. Luis Garcia, who tore his UCL like pretty early, mm-hmm. missed the rest of the year. And then Jose Rakiti, the very next day, had that shoulder thing again that he missed a good chunk of the rest of the season. The Astros had three critical injuries to their starting rotation and still finished eighth in all of Major League Baseball and ERA. They were eighth. They were behind Baltimore which Baltimore added Corbin Burns. I'm kind of surprised Baltimore was that high. They did it mostly with their bullpen, but their big closers out for the year. Minnesota was ahead of them. They returned most of their guys except for Sonny Gray, pretty big loss. Tampa was ahead of them. Tampa returns almost everybody but Glasnow, and Glasnow barely pitched for them last year. Toronto was actually fourth in ERA, which I think was more smoke and mirrors. Seattle, which they're going to be legit. Seattle's going to be really good pitching staff-wise. San Diego is two, which they lose Blake Snell. They lose Josh Hader. And then, and then number one was Milwaukee, who lost Burns, and then Woodruff is out for the year. Right. And, and um, Toronto lost Hicks. And, and Toronto, their starting pitching was was like musical chairs. I think that's the biggest thing where the depth plays with the dog days plays such a big and critical role because when you're going to go to a six-man rotation, when you're looking to get you know some of your starters a little less wear and tear, when you have guys that are interchangeable, when injuries are inevitably going to happen – the Astros have a luxury that I don't think any other team in baseball come close to in terms of it's one thing to say I'm going to bring someone up that's going to eat up some starts for me. But you look at what France did a year ago, but understand that at a certain point, you're going to have potentially eight starters to choose from that you can just sit there and, and, and plug and play that are better than a lot of the the teams in this league. They're fourth and fifth starters in some some cases when you start thinking about McCullers and Garcia. That's a fantastic spot to be in because that depth means something. And if your starters stay healthy, some of those seventh, eighth starting pitchers can then be some of your answers in middle relief. Mm -hmm. So even if the middle relief guys don't step up, you have some potential alternatives Mm -hmm. without even making a trade. Yeah, you can go Luis Garcia, Hunter Brown. Yeah, exactly. You're you're trying to limit Luis Garcia, his first, you know, 
little few months back from Tommy John. Maybe Hunter Brown is still pitching well, but is not going deep into games. He's got an ERA hovering around four. Or like, he's hey, been a know, guy that can, can come yeah, out of the pen and give you an inning. He's more, to me, of a mop-up guy. Like, he's not a weapon out of the bullpen, he, I don't feel. Whereas Hunter stuff? Brown, to me, can be a major weapon out of the bullpen. He's with Urquidy because yeah. of his stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. Like, I kind of, I like strikeout in my bullpen. Uh, Adrian, honestly, guys like Belak and Seth Martinez can fill that role. Middle relief, 350, sub-4 ERA. Astros need to Belak utilize these guys. Again. I could see Belak yeah, making the, the team as a long reliever. Belak dominated the Rockies That's true, he did. I could see him being a long reliever breaking camp. Really? Yeah, I could. I, I, I think yeah, Seth Martinez Mart- to be my yeah. mop-up long reliever. Well, guy I think he'd be Belak. more. I think Martinez would be more of your middle reliever. Like he'd be higher in the pecking order. When, than be when like. you say stuff, that's what makes me think that. And and I agree with you that you got to have a more dominant pitch and in most cases a, a above average fastball. Uh-huh. That's why I would think Martinez would be more the guy that would be more mop up. Well, I think Martinez is better stuff than Belak. Oh, I agree, but I, that's why I said I don't want to see Belak anymore. No, Belak is your Belak is your is your mop up guy. Like, I he's think Blanco is the guy for one inning that has right. the kind of stuff. I think we're talking about two different roles. Like I'm talking about Brandon Belak. Whenever you're up by five, down by five, and instead of using your dudes, oh, you yeah. have a guy eat two innings. Yeah. Like that's that's yeah. the perfect role for Brandon Belak. Uh, and because I don't think Verlander is going to make the team or not make the team, I think he's going to be on IL. Now that'd be a hot take. I think he's going to be on the <laughs> injured list on opening day. That's where I think Belak could probably be on the Astros opening day roster be there for two weeks, let Verlander get back, and he's your last guy in the pitching staff where he's only pitching in mop-up duty. Uh, 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Making mock drafts great again. It's what the killer bees do. How are we making mock drafts great again today? And how are we making the Texans better today? 713-780-3776, killer bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. We're ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. I left you with six adult Tamagotchis in perfect health. And by the time I came home, they were all dead. You have to, like, actively murder them in order for that to happen. Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights. But they also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy. He's Blank on Brandon. We're the bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Uh, making mock drafts great again. It's what we do. Uh, yesterday, we asked you, the Hive, to vote at Jeremy Branham at ESPN 97.5 on the four guys we voted for. Byron Murphy stole the show. Uh, Byron Murphy, Amarius Mims, Tyler Guyton, Keon Coleman were the options. Byron Murphy got 62% of the vote, ran away with it. Keon Coleman was second at 21. Mims, a tackle was third at 11, and then Tyler Guyton, a tackle, was fourth at 5%. So Byron Murphy, that's probably been our biggest winner of um, pulling the uh, the hive when it comes to those four guys. So Byron Murphy runs away with it. Today's mock draft, we are looking at Tris Trapazzo of CBS. Uh, at the top of it, he goes Caleb Williams, number one, no surprise there. Jaden Daniels, number two to the football team. Number three to the Patriots. Marvin Harrison Ooh. Jr., not quarterback, okay. quarterback, quarterback. Uh, Pats go Harrison at four. Cards go with Dallas Turner at number uh, – Pats go with Harrison at three. Uh, cards go Dallas Turner at four. Chargers go Brock Bowers at five. Uh, scrolling through, interesting names that pop up. Drake May goes to the Giants at six, so he slides a bit. 
Uh, but Giants get a quarterback. Drake May and Daniel Jonesville feel very similar to me. Well, because Daniel Jones was also drafted at six. And he was not a North Carolina guy, but he was a Dukie. Two guys, Tobacco same state. Road. Same state, yep. Tobacco Road. Uh, Malik Neighbors, eight to Atlanta. Roma Dunze, uh, nine to Chicago. So they would get Caleb Williams and a Dunze. That's kind of scary. Uh, J.J. McCarthy, number 11 to Minnesota. Let's see hmm. any It'll other. It'd be fascinating ones? to see who makes the JJ McCarthy mistake. Yeah, Byron I Murphy, agree. Seventeen. You don't think JJ McCarthy's gonna be good? No, no, not at all. I didn't see anything in Michigan that led me to believe he was an NFL starting quarterback. He looks small to me. He, yeah, he no, yeah, it's one of many things. There's real. There's almost nothing that I saw that I, I would point to. Go, that's an NFL you starting know, quarterback. Brian doesn't know my comp for JJ McCarthy. He no, feels what is it? to me like a Johnny Manziel light. A less athletic, less a drunk. Less, but I think Johnny he's, Manziel. I think he's, he's bigger, athletic. though, right? Is he, ta- uh, is he taller? Maybe a li- he's probably taller. Yeah, I think he's taller. He's probably but taller. He's taller. Manziel was well built, but he was just short. Yeah, but Johnny yeah. wasn't exactly frequently frequenting the weight room either. I, no. I think McCarthy's probably a better athlete. Oh, Ooh, I wouldn't I say don't know about athlete. that. McCarthy can run, but I wouldn't say he's a better yeah, athlete. I think McCarthy's a sne- like a good athlete, but he's not. Especially Manziel. when you see the Mansell doc and how he talked about he literally never watched tape and he was still able to win Heisman. Never watched tape. Manziel was an athlete. Yeah, okay. As a runner more than a passer. I mean, all he did is yeah, throw it up to Mike about. Evans went and got it, right? No, I mean, he ran a lot. No, I'm saying passing-wise. He, he had did, an arm. He did a whole lot of just sure. lining it up and letting it go and letting let his Mike receivers Evans go get it. But yeah. usually when we talk about athleticism for quarterback, we're talking about their ability to run. No, I know. He could run. That's obviously that was his bread and butter. Byron Murphy, 17 to the Jags. Brian Thomas, the LSU receiver, goes number 18 to Cincy. And nothing of interest, really, until the Texans are on the board at number 23. And they select Donnie Mitchell, the wide receiver from Texas. That's the pick at number 23. Didn't we have one the other day with Donnie Mitchell being yeah. number 23? Uh, no, we I had the he LSU wide receiver. He's one of the options. I don't it think he was the, pick. the pick. It was the LSU receiver. Nick Casario yeah. drafts to Donnie Mitchell, number 23, first round of the draft. You feel what? Uh, a little bit empty. I feel like they better have signed Grenard and Stevie <laughs> Nelson. And, and Yeah, I'm like, look, I am not going to feel fulfilled that they got a, a true someone that they're going to, you know, that with the positions of need that they have, <laughs> that they filled any of those positions of need. And I think it was more of a luxury pick that I wouldn't be as happy with because I think that they should, based on what happens with Grenard and Stevie Nelson, I think they should be looking defense in the first round. I think they should be looking at D-tackle, edge rusher, or corner. And so to to take a wide receiver there, and I know Brian, you're a, you're a Texas guy, so he's probably yeah. a guy that you're high on. I, I just I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too ecstatic about taking him there. I, I'm with you. I'm gonna just be the guy that stands on the table and says I don't want a receiver in the first round. I don't either, unless there's one of the. I, I'm just even if that that's not gonna happen. Like Rome. my top three favorite receivers aren't gonna slide to 23. Yeah, if Rome, not, make it if, yeah, if Rome falls right. that far, great, but he ain't. Yeah, so I'm just going to be the dude that stands on the table that says, I don't want a receiver at number 23. That's just going to be my stance. So Make room for me because I'll be on the it, table with but you. But if they do draft like Brian Thomas or Donnie Mitchell, I'll be like, okay, that's intriguing. You got Stroud, three legit weapons. So it's hard for me to be disappointed with it. I don't want it to happen. I want to go another route at number 23 and then find that third receiver in another way. But if they draft a weapon for C.J. Stroud, how could I be mad? How can I be mad by I, that? I wouldn't be mad. I, I would be, and I, obviously, as you guys said, I'm more pro wide receiver at 23 yeah. than you guys are. But I wouldn't like to pick here without an I Mitchell at 23 because it feels, in a way, and this is going to feel like a giant slight to, to to Mitchell, but it almost feels, in a way, you're drafting a specialist because at an I Mitchell, especially when you already have Tank and you already have Nico Collins, I just don't see him as the game changing, you know, like top, you know, target hog on, on an offense. He feels more like a red zone 
zone threat, mm. and then you've spent a first round pick on basically yeah. a red zone specialist. Okay, so you're kind of you would I'm, be more I'm, Brian be Thomas. Out. Yeah, I, I I don't mind wide receiver twenty three. Uh, we had this conversation the other day, and I know uh, one one texter got really mad for me, mad at me about my take on Adonai Mitchell, but I, I wouldn't like him here at twenty three. Okay, so we would all not necessarily love this pick. Um, the next three after Adonai Mitchell, so we'll. Uh, have our option of these four, a little multiple choice. Number 24 is Jared Verse, the edge from Florida State. have a hard time believing he fell to 24. Troy Fatanu, the interior offensive lineman from Washington, and Amarius Mims, the offensive tackle from Georgia. So Mitchell, Verse, Fatuna, Mims, who is your pick of the four? To me, it's a no-brainer for what I just said, too. I want them to, to fill roles and concentrate on defense in the first round. I think Verse would be unbelievable if he was available at that point. I think that you put him on that defense and you put him opposite of Will Anderson and you know that you've got your young bookends that you can work with. That's the pick for me. I'm not going to an offensive lineman. I'm going exactly where I think the positions of need are, and I think that that would be a great pick. Yeah. I'm with I'm with Joel. I mean, if we're all assuming that none of these fill none of these needs have been filled in free agency, and all of these are still you know positions that you want to add someone to, I would definitely lean you know pass rusher. I, I said this the other day, and I, I believe it. Pass rusher to me is the second best or second most important position on the team after quarterback. So I I I don't mind interior offensive line, but I wouldn't pass on first here. That's where I'm at too. It's unanimous. Jared Verse is the pick. Um, I can't believe they fell to 24. Uh, we were talking earlier about 16 players with first-round grades, and he was one of the 16, and he slides all the way uh, to number 24. Now, if you take verse off and you had to go Mitchell or Fortuna, who are you picking? Who's got the most versatility as an offensive lineman? Not I mean, Mitchell. Yeah, right. No, I mean, I'm saying, <laughs> I mean, I'm saying of the offensive linemen that are still there because I'm just looking at the rest of the first round going, well, then, I mean – I'm either looking at a guard, and I don't think you're going to take a guard there, but if you would, then I'd look that. Otherwise, then I would – again, I don't want receiver there's, in the first round. Certainly I think some, I'd rather go guard than receiver. I would too, but there's certainly some PTSD from Kenyon Green two sure. years ago. Uh, it, it, like we talked earlier in the show about like what would make the fan base on un, you know not excited going into the season based upon what you did in the in the draft and free agency drafting a guard at 23 and then to having the conversation of you know like what is what is Kenyon Green that would certainly be a move that may not bring out a whole lot of excitement what would um but I think the, I think he could start on this team, so I, w- I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it. But it w- it would be it would be very unsexy move. The uh, the stain of Kenyon Green. How much stain was removed with what we think is a hit with Juice Scruggs? Yeah, but Juice is going to be your center, right? Yeah, but sure. But we're talking about interior offensive linemen. Like there was the stank of missing on uh-huh. Kenyon Green, but there was the what the opposite of stank on what we feel like is hitting on Juice Scruggs. So if the stank was at a ten on Kenyon, I feel like Casario has won back a few points at least sure. hitting on Juice. Sure, but you still wonder again because of CJ, because of the running game, because it's sure. It's but a really... how much? How much did he re- like? Did, how much did Casario recover from public perception on missing on Green? We think it's a miss Some. with the hit. Like how many points? Like if it was a ten. In terms of stank, how many points did he recover with, with juice? Um, three or four. I'm at two. <laughs> I'm at two. What about you, Brian? Yeah, I'd be at four. I, okay, I, I, think, I think he claws back a few points. I think he claws enough back to be able to give him a reasonable benefit of the doubt. Okay, that's fair. Patterson enough. was a good find. I thought Juice was a good pick, but he still was second round, right? So I mean, yeah, he, he traded still, up yeah, to get him too. He was a high pick, and you you gave up something to get him. Uh, I think that that's a nice that's a nice rebound, but 
to take a guard that high and have him be that bad, it's yeah, not a great Yeah, I think those are two separate conversations, yeah, though. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 30-16, I am not in the camp of receiver in the first round either, but to be fair, the Texans did seem to struggle in the red zone a little bit last year. Uh, maybe A.D. Mitchell makes some sense. That, that is true. They did, they did struggle in the red zone. I would say it's more running game, but hey, red zone target never hurts. Uh, nine two seven one verse and run to the podium. Uh, I think that's true as well. Three six six seven. I'd be happy if they picked a player that doesn't already have an injury history. I mean, Stingley worked out all right. Yeah, Stingley worked out all right for the Texans. Kenyon, maybe not so much. Ooh, I like what they what the Texans did in the second round in this mock, though. They drafted Sweat. Yeah. It depends on what you think of Sweat. If is he a fit for the Texans? Some think that he might not be. I don't care what he. That weighs. late in the second round, I'd be willing to find out. Yeah, I've seen him going in the third. I don't I'd care. Certainly what... in the third, I'd be willing to take the risk. I, I mean, if he misses, he misses. But... Yeah, they were worried about his weight. If he can just plug I'm the not. holes and, and just be that big battering ram, like running people over, bull rushing people, I mean, that'd be Demi- great. D'Amico told us, and we saw in the Ravens game, that he's worried about getting bullied in the run game on defense. I mean, certainly a 360-pound, you know, uh, badass like uh, Tavondre Sweat in the middle Watch of that defensive mouth. line would uh, would certainly help that, uh, help that. improve that. Mitchell versus Fatuna Mims, the early returns, a little under 100 votes at Jeremy Branham at ESPN 97.5. Uh, Verse has the early lead, 51%. Mitchell at 21%. So That's fair. I think Verse is going to run away with this one, too. The question will be, does Verse run away with this one the same way that Murphy ran away with it yesterday? I don't think he's going to get to Murphy. Numbers. No, I agree. I don't think he'll get to Murphy numbers. All right, 713-780-ESPN Thursday. It's 4.30, a little after 4.30 or bad. A bad take, Boulevard. Who belongs on the list? A lot of you have been wondering where Joe has went. <laughs> You'll hear from Joe when we come back. It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. You know it's a great take, though? A goal from Pro Don Coops. They have the highest quality basketball goals you will ever find. Uh, you see your cheap stuff in your neighborhood, I'm sure. Uh, people never make the right decision. They, they buy these bad basketball goals from the big box stores, and they last like a month or two. Rims are jacked. Backboard's broken. Sometimes they're not even upright anymore. Uh, they're laying down on their belly. We'll get the highest quality goal from Pro Dunk. It's about to be March. We're a few days away from March, so tis the season for basketball, right? Probably the month you want to play basketball more than any other month. Your kids want to play. Uh, it's a great gift for your kids. Maybe a birthday coming up, or just give them the gift in March. It's March Madness, baby. Uh, the goal is from Pro Dunk. Tempered glass backboard gives you that real authentic feel that you find in the big arenas. It's got a breakaway rim. You'll need that because you can lower the goal all the way down to five feet, raise it up to ten feet anywhere in between. Uh, stainless steel hardware. Also, it's rust proof. They have the, uh, the rust armor on on top of it, which is great because we live in Houston, for goodness sakes. Uh, their accessories are next level. LED night uh, light kits for night play, backstop nets, pull pad lettering, and lots more. Their new goal, four. You can raise and lower the goals with a drill. Lightning adjust features, what they call it. Anywhere from five feet to ten feet, matter of seconds. It's easy, it's fun to do, and it's idiot-proof for people like me. You can order everything, including professional installation online. You don't have confidence that you can make this bad boy level? I believe in you, but if you don't believe in yourself, allow the pros from ProDunk to professionally install your goal. They'll come to your place, they'll install it to the perfect height perfectly straight. You don't have to mess it up because the pros at ProDunk are going to do all of the work for you. 281-351-9822. Visit ProDunk.com. 281-351-9822. ProDunk.com. ESPN 97.5.com. I came powder. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> 
So many bad takes on sports. What do you do with all of them? Only there is something in your head to control the things you say. Well, the killer bees use them to build an actual street where they can get run over for all eternity. 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 What's that street? Bad Take Boulevard. He's Blake. I'm Branham. Everybody's favorite segment of the week where you get to hear the worst takes of the week. A lot of you have been asking where Joe has gone. Well, Joe's alive and well. We'll get to Joe in a moment. Uh, Brian, Jay Williams, you know him from ESPN. He still does basketball games. He doesn't have a radio show on with ESPN anymore, does he? I don't think so. It was a Key, Keyshawn. Yeah, and, 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 and Max Keller. Max, Max Key and Keyshawn are the same after guy. After Zubin. After yeah. it was interchangeable, then Keyshawn skipped, and Zubin they got rid of, and then I think they got rid of Max, too, so they just kiboshed the I thing. like Jay on college game day. I like him on games, too. But he was going at Caitlin Clark for this bad take, with this bad take. I think she is the Stephen Curry of women's college. I think she has changed the dynamics of the way the game is played. I think the way she plays, the pizzazz, is like she's probably the most prolific scorer the game of basketball has ever seen. Unmatched. I am I am unwilling, and maybe it's more the, the Kobe mentorship around me, to say that she is great yet. I think she is the most prolific scorer the game has ever seen. I hold great or the levels of immortality or the pantheon to when you win championships. I'm just be that's just me. So Diane Taurasi, when you win three consecutive championships, two-time national player of the year, it has to it has to culminate with the chip. It has to. Full disclosure, Brian, the one who put this on here, because I have a I, I object to this actually. Where do you stand, Blankers? I I would tend to agree with it because of the fact that Tarazi and later on, if you saw the the the, the how far in depth he went into, he put Brianna Stewart in, on there too. And, and if they play at UConn and they got a hell of a team around them. That's one thing, but I don't think that should take away from Caitlin Clark's greatness. I mean, she's a great player. Plenty of great players have never won a championship, mm-hmm. but have been completely outstanding, dominant, one of the best five players in the country. I think it's pretty safe to say she's that. With that, I'd say she's a great college basketball player. Yeah, I think where the the hang-up is here with what Jay said is, like, he said that Caitlin's not great. Yeah. That's probably not the word he meant to use, because he said great and then he, said he, immortal and pantheon of winning titles. Great was too light of a word. He should have said, I'm not putting her up there with the immortals like Tarasi like and the Brianna Stewart. Moore, or, so, yeah. like, I... And I think that great was a mistake. I, I feel like he didn't mean to say great because I, I agree with Jay Williams. Like Caitlin Clark is great. She's one of the like, greatest women's college basketball players we've ever seen. Is she on a tier below the ones who have championships? For me, who has a championship bias where I do give extra credit to the players that win titles, I don't disagree with the logic. When he said great and he said Caitlin's not great, that's where the bad taking lies. Yeah, exactly. And he did follow up later in the week and kind of move the goalposts and try to explain. He's like, well, she can't be a GOAT without a title. I think that's that conversation's fine. Yeah. But you can't call her the Stephen right. Curry of women's basketball and the greatest scorer uh, in basketball right now and then say she's not great. Well, I think you can I think you can be a great scorer without being, like, again, an You can't immortal. be the Stephen Curry of your sport without being great. I, the, the problem was, I think he was talking more from a scoring point of view and not winning titles. Like, she probably should have said the James Harden of your sport. Because, like, James Harden had scoring titles. James Harden that won MVP. Been a, yeah, that would have I'm not putting James better. Harden on the upper tier like so i think his his argument wasn't well laid out but i kind of get the gist and agree with the gist yeah the 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 actual terminology matters too right she's great i don't think there's any denying she's great i think if you you want to say that she is 
to, to, to solidify her all-time greatness, mm-hmm. now maybe you got to win some titles. Or, or say she's the greatest of all time, because I don't think she's the greatest of all time. Like, yeah, I think you do need championships to be the greatest of all time. If you want to go, if you go back, right, you go Cheryl Miller and Cynthia Cooper, they had a, they had the, the same thing. They had a dynasty at SC, mm-hmm. as well as their individual accolades. And then, if you want to go to all the UConn greats and Sue Bird and all those players, they also... They had the combo platter. That's why they were elevated in terms of their overall greatness for the history of their career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum, who I mean, he's a real joy to talk to. Really love talking <laughs> yeah. to, to Mike the excitement Tannenbaum. Just zoods out of his pores. It says why he's doing media now and now no longer a general manager in football. Yeah, I think he would actually be a, a great fit with New York, and here's why. Oh my gosh! Why you want to Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson? Absolutely, pay him a million dollars and let him resurrect his career. <laughs> I actually have experience with this. Vinny Testaverde got cut by the Baltimore Ravens. We signed him in June and went to the championship game that year. So if you're if you're Russell you're Wilson, laughing off set. And you don't get no early, Mike. Hey, it's probably Hembo. But if, where, where else is he going to go? He has to resurrect his career. Anywhere so to if start? You have to sit for a year. Why not sit behind one of the greatest of all times and then be a free agent again? It's when, when, when I was reasons. guys, where is he going to go? He's 36 years old. No one's going to hand him a starting Pittsburgh, job. He's going to have to be Atlanta, a backup somewhere. Vegas. He, he compared him to Vinny Testaverde. What, what, what you don't see, obviously you can't see because we're, we're playing the audio clip, is Bart Scott at one point leans over and checks his cup to see if he has any alcohol <laughs> in it. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> they were laughing offset. Oh, yeah. No, Mike Graziano got up from the desk and walked away. Like, obviously, you obviously don't hear that in this as well. He literally, as soon as he said Russell Wilson's signed with the Jets, he got up and walked away from the desk. What a wild take. I mean, it, Mike is Dan's brother? Dan Tannenbaum? No, it's Dan Graziano. I'm <laughs> getting BMAC on that one. He said Mike Graziano oh, got up. Oh, did I? Away. My yeah. bad, my bad. Yeah. That's very but, I mean, none of that makes sense. Like, I, I mean, I've obviously, learned. why would Russell Wilson, you know, want to play behind Aaron Rodgers when he could still start somewhere? Yeah. And why would he accept? He said, well, just give him $1 million. In what world is Russell Wilson signing for a $1 million contract? Now, he's still got a, he, he got a lot of money still from Denver. It doesn't matter. But, I don't but, 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 it, but yeah, but there's no way in hell Russell Wilson passes up an opportunity to prove he still got it. You want to resurrect his career? Go to a team that's in sor- that's in completely immediate need for a quarterback. I mean, Atlanta needs a quarterback. So does Vegas. Yeah, I think he's going to be the quarterback in Pittsburgh. And there too. There too. If they don't trade for Justin Fields. Yeah, I think that Fields ends up going to Atlanta, and I'm going to say Wilson ends up in Pittsburgh. But Mike wasn't alone with bad backup quarterback takes. Our very own Joe George lands on Bad Take Boulevard again. I'll be honest. If the Colts want to take a major leap, I would trade for Justin Fields. <laughs> I would trade for Justin Fields and make him your backup quarterback. And then when Anthony Richardson gets Stop hurt, it. you have Justin. It's not this happen. is the it's not nope. yeah, that's trade the for Justin that's Fields the to be a backup. No way. You guys think he sucks. You don't think he's a backup? In <laughs> but there are teams that want to make him their starter. It doesn't matter how bad he the sucks. NFL. <laughs> What do you mean Falcons, a backup? Man. Raiders, Broncos. If I was He's the Colts, that's fine. But if I was the Colts, I would try to trade for him to make him a backup. Thank Dallas God you're not, not the Colts. You're trade Joe. a second rounder yep. for a backup Joe. quarterback. Yeah. You can't trade a second rounder for the backup quarterback. That's no. too, much, too much capital. Like, if you get Fields for cheap, like, obviously, that would be great. But it's not going to happen. And Fields is going to be a starter in the NFL next year. Yeah, and you had Gardner Minshew, who did a whole lot of things right. So, if you were going to do anything to solidify your quarterback position, you could bring him back. For Tannebaum's take, the Jets could sign Gardner Minshew if they wanted to and try that route. But even he is probably going to get a starting job somewhere. But, yeah, from the Colts' perspective, and Ballard's already done so much extra in the last several years experimenting with quarterbacks, 
There's no way he's going to go out and, and give up a second-round pick to get yet another quarterback when Richardson's your guy. Who would let that guy on air? <laughs> Justin Fields, backup quarterback for the Colts. Second-round pick for your backup mm. quarterback. Mm. I'd like to be in a fantasy league with that guy. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Both of you are. Yeah, I am, too. All right, that's it for Bad Take Boulevard. Thanks to thanks for Joe working three minutes this week. Uh, college football is already talking about expanding their expanded playoffs. What's the excitement of the 5 plus 7? What are the ideas of, tr- of expanding to 14? Does that make any sense? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Guys, got a lot going on in sports right now. You got the NBA back tonight. You got college basketball seemingly every night. You've got sports galore now with golf on the weekends and soccer. And the best place to take advantage of actually making games even more interesting by putting some money down is mybookie.ag. I always tell you that because mybookie.ag takes care of their customers. They've been in business for over a decade. That means they're not going anywhere, which means neither is your money. Safe and secure. When you need it, it's there. And because we always compliment you and try to reward you for listening to us and going to them, because you listen to us and you use our promo code BET975 whenever they ask for it, you can reap the benefit of lots of bonuses. You get a friend to sign up, you get a bonus. You put money in your account that you've already set up, you get a bonus. You actually are signing up for the first time and use our code, you get a bonus. It's fantastic. And it's seemingly, yes, it's like Oprah with cars. It seems like you get a bonus, you get a bonus, everybody gets a bonus if you use the promo code BET975. And another great advantage to using mybookie.ag is even when there's not games going on, if you want to gamble, they have live dealers standing by with casino games like blackjack and poker. It's fantastic, and it's all because you listen to us and you get tipped off to use mybookie.ag. It's like I always tell you, bet anything, anytime, anywhere. With the only place I tell you to do it, mybookie.ag, and always remember that promo code, bet975. ESPN 97.5, the only Houston sports station with a bidet. And the bidet, should it break? Is there a bidet repairman on site? All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Honey Glaze Branham says, so guys, I nearly completed my goal of removing an unpleasant, lazy co-worker. If you weren't, uh, Brian wasn't with us. If the Hive wasn't listening that day, Honey Glaze Branham asked for our advice on how to get rid of a lazy co-worker that he works with. As what coworkers are, uh, he said she will be getting dealt with on Monday. Smiley face emoji. It's he, funny, Honey Glaze Brandon, because we did the same thing. I was thinking that too, but I wasn't going to say it. You did. Uh, I was wondering if he was going to elaborate, give us the methodology, if we gave him any advice, or if he just concocted his own scheme to get this executed. Yeah, how did you do it, Honey Glaze Brandon? Let us know. Text us back. Uh, college football, the five plus seven format has been approved. Uh, the top five conference champions will get an automatic spot. Top four will get buys. And then you have the seven at larges that can come from any conference. Um, this was a no brainer to me. Like the, ever since the Pac 12 became the Pac 2 or the two pack, some people are calling it. Like it. Um, this was the obvious decision. Like I, I like the five plus seven more than I like the six plus six. I think it was a good call. Easy, easy call. I would agree, and you guys, and I would throw Brian in the mix, are probably the experts on this more than me, but I would I would agree with you that I think that's the best way to lay it out, and I look forward to it being an exciting kind of change of plans from what we've been dealing with in the past with the Final Four. 
Yeah, I mean, you could argue there's really not even five conferences that deserve to have an automatic qualifier, but I don't mind. Disagree. One, I, well, I know, I know, but I, I, I don't mind the best of the non-power conference schools getting a way in, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm glad it's not two of them. I agree with that. That's why I didn't like this the is the, This is the better yeah. of the two options. In 5 plus 7, you, everybody in college football still has a chance. Yeah, like Florida Louisiana State would have gone in this year. still has a chance. Everybody has a chance. You win all your games, you're going to be in the college football playoff. Maybe. Uh, I guess there could be two undefeated schools yeah, in the group of five. Yeah, you could have two schools like yeah. Liberty and one of them gets left out. Like Liberty and Miami of Ohio, right, something exactly. weird like that. Um, but this is this is the right thing to do. Five plus seven is the way to go. Now we learned yesterday that there has now been conversation before the five plus seven has ever started. Has ever started. There is already conversation about expanding to fourteen teams for the college football playoff. Do you like the idea of expanding by two? Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. Am I in the minority for thinking twelve is enough? And, and, and yeah, I, I no, I, I agree with you. No, go yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, and I was going to say so to the scenario that you just painted out. If there's two teams. Liberty and another team that that's sitting there that that's that's warranted. Uh, I think that you've done enough by going to twelve. I don't want to water it down enough to go to fourteen, and, and I don't think that would do anybody any good. Now, the reason that I've read of why they're thinking about going to fourteen is there's conversation of guaranteeing four spots to each the SEC and the Big Ten, and this is <laughs> Wait, so why each I one don't get two. Eat Four. Right. Oh, four each? Yes. So they would consist of yeah. eight of oh the 14 playoff teams. So that's where I am a huge uh, – I do not like the idea of expanding Opponent. to – One, I don't like expanding to 14, period. I think 12 is a pretty sweet number. Mm-hmm. Your four conference champions all get buys. The first round is in you know the the higher seed, the better seeds, uh, home stadium. Like I think the 12 is a, is a good number, especially with four power conferences. And I know you're giving a fifth conference a spot as well. Because uh, those four power conferences very likely are going to be the four teams that get buys. Plus, there's seven wild cards. Like, there's seven wild cards here. Like, that's probably going to be the SEC and, and some of the Big Ten as well. They are soaking up these at-large spots. To guarantee four Big Tens, Mm-mm. four SECs, now you're looking at eight of the 14. Your other two power conferences are going to take up the other two. So, that's 10 of 14. You're going to have one more group of five that's taking up the 11th spot so you're gonna have three wild cards for other conferences that aren't the big 10 in the sec and the, the what i don't like about it either is like the the contract of this like you're more than likely already gonna get four teams sec you're more than likely already gonna get four teams big maybe not big 10 but sec certainly well, with the so now you you're might. bowing down and saying here you go here you go sec and big 10 you go separate from the rest of us we're telling we're voting you to have all of this power i, I don't like it i don't I, like I it don't at all i don't like it either i mean like if you take last year's scenario why i thought that you know if to to expand it all I wanted Georgia in the playoff just because th- they had the loss late. They shouldn't be punil- punished that much or penalized. Yeah, they might have to play the first week or whatever, but they wa- they deserved a chance to still compete. And the fact that that's taken care of was the biggest thing. But you can't. I understand that you know we're creating all these super conferences, but as much as you know, I watch Big Ten football more than you guys, and 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 Jeremy's not a fan of the Big Ten, and I understand why. And obviously, SEC best conference in the country, but that doesn't mean that you automatically get four teams because sometimes you could get a team that the Big Ten is top heavy. We all know that, and so if you would end up getting a team like Michigan State or Iowa, or and you look at it, you go, no, that's just they're, they're not as good as some of the other teams that were worthy of it. I don't think you should just guarantee if they earn it, fine. 
but don't give them four and four. It's just it's bad across the board because I mean when you look at this, not only are you watering down the field some, and I would and I was actually against the twelve when the conversation first started. I was a fan of an eight man uh, eight team format, but I'm fine with twelve. But not only are you watering down the field, if you're if you're actually guaranteeing four spots for the Big Ten, four spots for the SEC, who's to say in any given year each conference has four teams? Yeah. That is, I mean, now, in most years I, I, the SEC probably would, but not in every single year would they. And certainly the Big Ten, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, you feel like are going to be mm-hmm. there every year. Penn State's been close a few times, but there's not there's no way to guarantee that these conferences, as strong and dominant as they are, are going to have four teams every single year. Year that are, are worthy of being in the playoff and now you're talking about possibly putting a team that's low in the 20s just to get that four, fourth SEC or that fourth Big Ten over a team from another conference that could be ranked you know five ten spots higher it doesn't make any sense if you had the 14 with those caveats this year Iowa is in the playoffs. Yeah, so that's, that's and a they problem. finished twenty fourth. Like yeah. Michigan was. I mean, Michigan was number one. Like obviously they're going to be Ohio there. State. Ohio been State in. finished number ten. That's fine. They're in there. Penn State was thirteen, so they would have been on the bubble mm-hmm. of a fourteen team playoff. Like they would have been in the conversation. And then Iowa, Iowa with four losses last season would have been in the college football. Playoff and they're so exciting this. when they they their offense just is such a, a fun product <laughs> to watch. Three to nothing. Yeah, well, I mean that's I don't care if they win every single one of their games three to nothing cool you should be in the college football sure, playoff but if sure. you lose four games absolutely not sec i have no problem with because georgia was number four alabama these were their final rankings georgia four alabama five missouri eight ole miss nine like that even lsu lsu would have probably been in they would probably had five teams in a 14 team playoff so you don't need these things written in that's what i don't like i don't 14 i can live with i don't like it as much as 12 i like 12 more than 14 but if you're telling me more college football games with the top 14 teams in the country okay i can live with that what a punishment like i can that, that's fine i can live with it the problem problem I have is bowing down to these other two conferences and be like, yeah, you can have whatever you want. Just keep us around. I can live with the SEC having four. The big problem I have is the Big Ten. Without question. The Big Ten, to me, should not have four in a 14 team. If you I'm earn a- it, cool. If you earn And the, the possibility of earning it and being right, there, is, still there. It exists. Yes. But just to be written in, yeah, the number 25 team in the country, Iowa, would have been in the college football playoff is flat out stupid. Yeah, and I, I, I have bias in the fact that I, I, I'm hopeful that the Badgers are going to be up there again. And they, they, But if they are, then, then earn it, right? Earn the spot. Nothing should be guaranteed just because you play in a certain conference that you should get that kind of extra special treatment but if you earn it then so be it that would be fantastic but i, I don't want to see you know the, the 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 big 10 kind of all teeterings getting in every year just because they play in the big 10 go earn it go earn it and it's the impossibility exists to earn it 14 is ludicrous especially with those caveats says three 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 eight 12 is plenty uh 12 was always too many says six one four six they just care about the money eight would have been perfect five plus three i don't hate eight but i mean 12 is fine uh, I don't want four, five, two lost teams in the playoffs. I get that. Um, but 14 would be worse. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Let's go out to the HRP listener line for college football, Bob. What's up, Bob? You're in the hive. Hey, fellas, what's up? I, I get what you guys are talking about with the uh, four teams, you know, from each so-called power conference now. But one of the things that you didn't mention was the new teams in the Big Ten. You've got Oregon. You've got Washington. You know, you've got uh, USC. You've got some teams that are going to jump over the Iowas and most likely, you know, the Michigan States and even possibly the Penn States. Mm-hmm. That's a great I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, great well, counterpoint. I said that earlier great that counterpoint. With, the, with the additions that you could see with the Big Ten that you could have, you know, 
a USC yeah. or, or, as well that could possibly do something. It's still, it shouldn't be just be a foregone given to them because of the conference they play. Yeah, like go earn it. Like and exactly. it, That's a great point, Bob. I'll concede that that's a great point because now you are talking about an Oregon uh, who would be in a 14-team playoff by merit. Same thing with Washington. Uh, Arizona is going to the Big 12, the third best college football conference in the world, and the number one college basketball conference in the world, and the most powerful conference in any sports the big 12 in college basketball um but go earn it like i don't need this written into the contract and the thing that really worries me is now the the fear factor of well we're getting everything we want big 10's getting whatever they want SEC's getting whatever they want they're the bullies in the room you bow down to us or we're just going to kick you out of the union that we created that's the thing that i'm fearful of yeah because where does it stop i mean you're creating a situation where it's basically just an SEC versus big 10 challenge to borrow something from college basketball and not a true college football playoff if you bow down and give them eight of the 14 spots eventually they're going to ask for more and they're going to use that control the fact that they have out of 814 to try to take more uh, a bigger piece of the pie than they possibly deserve so it, at some point it has to stop and if you give in on this it's only going to they're only going to continue to ask for more yeah the ncaa is scared to death right now the, the, they'd have no control the, exactly and they just want to keep eating because they just love getting fat and happy. Well, I mean, they have no control of the college football playoff. They never have. No, I understand. But what I'm saying is at a certain point, you could find the SEC and the Big Ten and basically just say, we're just going to break off, create our own for football, and then leave you hanging. Yeah, I, that could that could happen. It could be with more conferences that are along mm-hmm. for the ride. That's why these other conferences might be bound down. Hey, take us along with you. Uh, start this new union with us. Uh, two, three, four, one. They now have Washington, Oregon, UCLA, USC. Yes, they do, but still go earn it on the football field. Uh, eight, six, five, three. How would a tournament with fourteen even work? NFL playoffs. NFL playoffs has fourteen teams. They have seven in each conference, so that's how it work. One team. You'd have, I mean, you'd have two brackets of seven. One team would get a buy on the left side. One team would get a buy on the right side. So that's how it worked. It would just work like the NFL playoffs. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN HRMP listener line seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. So apparently, I learned something today. Justin Verlander does not like being called a diva. Is he a diva though? And is it okay if he is? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. We're ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Nothing about this is easy. It's not easy being drunk all the time. Everyone would do it if it were easy.